At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. This is Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. Lawmakers have approved a slate of laws that impact the transgender community, especially in Florida. Among new measures, they voted to ban gender-affirming care for minors. The Parental Rights and Education Bill, which opponents labeled Don't Say Gay, was expanded. Part of that bill curtails the use of preferred pronouns in schools for staff and students. Lawmakers also approved restrictions on people using bathrooms at schools and government buildings that don't align with their sex assigned at birth. And there's legislation aimed at drag performances. Well, for more, we're joined by WUSF's Dalena Miller, who's been covering issues impacting the LGBTQ plus community in Tampa Bay. Dalena, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And WUSF's Stephanie Colombini, who's been reporting on the impact of new laws restricting gender-affirming care in Florida. Stephanie, thank you. Thanks. Dalena, there's so much to grapple with in this legislative session. I'm wondering what you're hearing from people in the community generally about the impact of these new laws. Generally speaking, people are pretty scared about what's going on. Uh, So you're seeing a slate of GoFundMes on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook so that people can raise the funds to move out of Florida. You're seeing a lot of people uh, reach out to their community and networks trying to find uh, gender-affirming care providers that may still continue their care uh, once certain laws have passed. There's a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety about what's going on. Mm Mm-hmm. Senate Bill 1438, this is the one that's titled Protection of Children, includes language that targets establishments that, quote, admit a child to adult live performance, end quote. Now, there seems to be a range of interpretations of that bill. For example, a Port St. Lucie gay pride parade was cancelled, but that's not the case everywhere. Uh, What are you hearing about what's going on in Tampa Bay, for example. I haven't heard of any cancellations in the Tampa Bay region. I did speak to Carrie West, president of Tampa Pride, and while Tampa Pride has already happened, it happens before Pride Month in June, he said that they're continuing their 10th anniversary plans for next year, drag queens included. So St. Pete Pride, one of the largest Pride parades and Pride events in the Tampa Bay region and in the state, is still scheduled uh, as normal for next month. There may be events that are 18 plus or 21 plus, and in a lot of cases, there were already events that were for older people anyway. So uh, as far as I know, it's still continuing as normal. What about people who may have participated in events in the past? Are you hearing from anyone saying they're not comfortable getting out there this year because they're worried about what might happen, or is that not the sense you're getting? I have heard from performers that are only going to be performing for 18 plus and 21 plus events just because they're worried about how vaguely the legislation is awarded. They don't want to be at an event where they're later going to be fined or, you know, or arrested because of their performance. And, you know, drag queens like comedians and a lot of other performers have a wide array of events that they do. And so some of those events are family friendly, like pride events, where 
where they're fully clothed and they're not doing any dances that are risque or suggestive. And then some of them are adult only events anyway. So drag queens like other performers are doing a wide array of events. We may see drag queen performers move more towards doing the adult only events because of the chilling effects. Right. And and you, you mentioned that. So even if the law doesn't necessarily reflect what they're doing specifically in the performance they're worried about it yes stephanie i wonder if you could talk a little bit about the restriction on bathroom use if it doesn't align with someone's sex assigned at birth first of all what are the implications of it and are you hearing about any kind of pushback to this yeah, there's been a lot of pushback, and that's kind of the the bill that passed is actually much more scaled down than what uh, lawmakers had initially proposed. And, and so the situation now is that if you go to a bathroom in a public building, say a government-owned building or a school uh, that does not align with your sex assigned at birth and somebody asks you to leave and you refuse, you can be charged with like a misdemeanor trespassing offense. Um, originally, lawmakers were also hoping to to have that apply to, to businesses, gas stations, restaurants. But there was so much pushback about, you know, how do we enforce this? And, you know, we don't agree with that, uh, that they scaled it back to government-owned buildings. And then schools, you know, students wouldn't necessarily get a misdemeanor. They have assigned school districts to come up with their own way to discipline students who would do that. And speaking of schools, the quote-unquote don't say gay bill that was so controversial in schools last year is expanded what about the implications of that yeah it's kind of interesting because two separate things happened here so we had the state legislature expand uh, the parental rights and education law, which uh, critics call Don't Say Gay, through middle school. Initially, it was supposed to apply to elementary schools only. During this session, they they passed a bill to expand those restrictions on instructing about sexual orientation and gender identity through the eighth grade um, and also had rules about, you know, teachers not being able to uh, refer to students by their pronouns that they identify with if it doesn't align with their gender assigned at birth. Um, that was one of the, the provisions that has now been expanded through eighth grade. But at the same time, the DeSantis administration, the Board of Education, also voted to pass rules that would effectively expand this law to all grades, all the way through high school. And so uh, restricting instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity, unless it is necessary, part of a lesson that, you know, has to meet state education standards or is about reproductive health. Otherwise, there are, you know, restrictions on talking about it in school. So really, as soon as, the, you know, the next month or so, we could be seeing all grades affected by that change. And so you've talked to trans youth and their families about the new legislation and you know what it means, what the kind of healthcare implications. Let's hear from some of you reporting about Josie, a Floridian who recently moved to Rhode Island for a better life. But she was seeing changes at her school even before this year's bill passed. Let's just take a listen. Josie had put off packing as long as she could, but with just a few days to go before she moved, it was time. Remember this dress? When's the last time you wore it? Homecoming. High school homecoming. Winter homecoming. <laughs> As she and her mom went through her closet, they remembered the good times Josie had in school. Formal dances, pool parties. Oh my God, this is one of my favorite dresses. But then there are the bad memories. A state law banned her from playing on the girls' tennis team. 
Then last year, another law went into effect that restricts instruction about gender identity and sexual orientation. It had applied to elementary schools, but the DeSantis administration just expanded it to cover middle and high schools. Even before that, schools like Josie's were taking down things like stickers on classrooms that signified they were safe spaces for LGBTQ youth. Stephanie, what stood out for you about this story? What was it that made Josie and her family decide she was better off leaving Florida? It was really a combination of factors um, that drove Josie to decide to go live with her aunt and uncle in Rhode Island and finish high school up there. What she talked about just in that clip about changes happening at school, you know, uh, we saw a number of districts kind of make headlines for doing that of, you know, taking down LGBTQ signage, you know, these safe space stickers are are commonly seen with a pride flag and kind of just notating like, you're welcome here. And a lot of schools took those down as sort of a chilling effect of, of the parental rights and education law, even though it didn't apply to high schools at the time, the language was kind of vague of what is age appropriate for students that some just said, you know what, let's not even take chances on this. And so seeing something like that happen in her school was really painful for Josie. She also had to deal with not being, she wanted to play on the girls tennis team. Florida also has a a ban in place where trans girls can't compete on sports teams that were sort of intended for students assigned female at birth. So just a lot of issues at school. But then really what drove her were the threats to her medical care. As the Board of Medicine and the Board of Osteopathic Medicine last year started debating whether to ban doctors from prescribing gender-affirming treatments like the hormones she takes for minors, she was just really terrified and hurt that she was going to potentially lose access to her health care. And so that's really when they got serious about thinking about planning to move to Rhode Island and then even though in the ban that ultimately passed, Josie would be allowed to continue care. They made an exception for people who had started treatment before the ban went into effect. She just didn't trust that this would be the end. And, you know, sure enough, after the Board of Medicine passed the ban, you know, lawmakers came very close this session to passing a bill that included a provision that would have forced all trans youth to stop their treatment by the end of this year. Josie would have had to have weaned off her medications by December 31st. She had actually already decided to move by then, but it was kind of just reinforcing exactly what she was afraid about, which was that maybe this wasn't the end and that she, you know, she just didn't trust her access to, to health care and, and being able to kind of express herself and live her authentic life at school just felt threatened and she thought she would be better off elsewhere. Dalian, you did a lot of reporting on the decisions by those two medical boards that Stephanie mentioned in the latter part of last year, and I'm sure heard a lot of stories from people who are concerned at that stage, what would this mean? So this has to kind of resonate with the reporting that you were doing there too as well. Absolutely. I heard from a lot of folks at those Florida Board of Medicine and Osteopathic Medicine meetings that gender-affirming care saved their life and that they wouldn't be here without it. And that a lot of them, like Josie, are making plans to leave the state um, if they're financially capable of doing so and flee what they're calling themselves refugees. So, Stephanie, back to the reporting you did with Josie and her family. What impact has that had on the family, her having to leave the state and move to Rhode Island? It's been 
really difficult because uh, her parents couldn't go with her, at least not right now. There's just, I think a lot of families moving is really complicated. And especially as quickly as things changed for Josie to move in the middle of the school year, you know, her parents have jobs. Her dad had recently started a new job. Her mom works for a college that gets her her children reduced tuition at at schools around the country. They have a a tuition reciprocity program, and that's really valuable. Her older sister is using it right now. So, I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars were on the line if her mom were to just quit. And they have a home that they have owned since before Josie was born. And so it wasn't as simple as, okay, we want to go, let's go. And so, you know, right now they've decided the best move is for them to stay behind and Josie to live with her aunt and uncle. She's very fortunate to have such supportive family, but it really has been hard. They're a very close family, and so they're making the best of it. I've checked in with them several times since. The move is going well for Josie. She likes her new school. She talks to her parents every day. You know, they FaceTime, they call. Her parents are going to visit as much as they can, so they're making the best of it and overall feel it is still a positive situation for Josie's future. But, of course, it's painful, and it's something that so many families are wrestling with right now. Stephanie, you also talk with the University of Florida clinical psychologist Jennifer Evans about these new laws. Let's take a listen. It's absolutely taking a toll. I'm seeing a lot more anxiety, depression, things I hear patients say are the government doesn't want me to exist. Um, They don't feel safe. And it's not just Florida. The American Civil Liberties Union has been tracking more than 400 bills the group considers anti-LGBTQ that state legislatures around the U.S. are considering this year. A few dozen have already been signed into law. Others won't go anywhere. But Evans says a bill doesn't have to pass for it to cause harm. She identifies as queer. It's a lot to feel like enough people in this country don't agree with your existence, which actually isn't affecting them aside from their politics or their personal ethics, that people want to shut down other people's access to living full, complete and affirmed lives. It's really hard to understand. And it's It's painful to see that. So Evans also talked about the cumulative effect of the legislation, even if it doesn't pass. What did you learn from that conversation? Yeah, exactly what you said. Just, you know, a bill doesn't have to pass to cause harm. You know, she said that just the stress. And I I think Josie is an even example of that, who ultimately was allowed to continue care in the final decision that policymakers made. It's that stress every day of watching people debate these things. And often we've seen certain members of the legislature use pretty ugly language when talking about the transgender community and and the fact that it's not just Florida. There are states all over the country, you know, more than a dozen states have already passed bans on on gender affirming care, but there are hundreds of bills on all sorts of issues, bathrooms, schools, what have you, that state legislatures are considering this year that could affect the lives of trans people. So it's really hard and stressful to to hear that in the news every day. You know, something might not be happening in Florida today, but you see it, the same things happening in Oklahoma or Missouri or wherever. So, you know, Evans was just telling me it's taking a toll on our patients because they just are, you know, it's affecting their mental health and kind of questioning, do people disagree with my existence? Like she said in that clip, I can imagine that's got to be very difficult for people to deal with and a lot of stress. And I think the figure you mentioned in the story is something like 400 also bills that are being tracked you know in various states across the country which have something to do with 
LGBTQ plus issues, trans rights. So for families that are considering moving, that's got to be a factor as well. And you have talked to other families who are considering leaving. And as Dalina was saying earlier, there were people even saying last year, what are we going to do? Are we going to stay or not? But as you point out, it's not an easy decision, as you've reported in this story and elsewhere. Let's just take a listen to one Tampa Bay mom of a 13-year-old that you talked to who didn't want to be named for fear of retaliation. I'm lucky because I can go. It'll, it'll be hard. It'll financially devastate me, but I can do it. My heart shatters for the families that can't, for whatever reason. There are a ton of reasons why families can't go. We got to fight for them. You don't have to have a transhuman in your life to care. You just have to care. So what are you hearing from other families? What have they told you about the decision to stay in Florida or to leave? Well, the difficulties uh, are definitely a, a big factor for a lot of people. That mom we just heard from, you know, when she was saying she could do it, a lot of kind of changed for her, and it was still going to be really hard, but she lives with her parents. She's a single mom, and her parents initially were saying, like, we won't move if you move. And then as things kind of escalated, they were like, you know what, if we all have to go, we'll go as a team. And so she had that support. But for a lot of families, they don't have that support. I actually got an email from a parent in Oklahoma after this story aired. She saw it online, uh, reached out to me because she's dealing with a similar challenge with her daughter. That state is also passing uh, restrictions on gender affirming care. And she was like, I have no out of state support system. Like, where would I go? And that's something that families in Florida can relate to as well. Josie was fortunate to have this extended family in Rhode Island who were saying, we'll take you in. A lot of people don't have that. And so you have to think about a lot of things. And as you mentioned, Matt, and and actually as uh, Jennifer Evans mentioned when we talked about how so many states are considering this, you only have so many options of where you could go necessarily to to have more rights. And so it's a really uh, tricky situation. Of course, people build homes here in Florida. They have ties here. They have jobs. They have positive memories and, and love this state for a lot of reasons. So not everyone is ready to leave. You're listening to Florida Matters. We're talking with WUSF reporters Stephanie Colombini and Dalena Miller about new legislation affecting the LGBTQ plus community in Florida, including a ban on gender-affirming care for minors. We'll continue the conversation after the break. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. Let's get back to our conversation about new legislation that affects the LGBTQ plus community in Florida, including a ban on gender-affirming care for minors. The new law is causing concern and raising questions about what it means for transgender teens and their families and healthcare providers. There are implications for transgender adults in Florida as well. With us are WUSF multimedia journalist Dalina Miller and Stephanie Colombini, who covers healthcare for WUSF and Health News Florida. There's also some complexity to a lot of this legislation. And I'm wondering, I mean, Dalina, are you hearing from people in the community about just trying to figure out exactly what the implications of these bills are? I mean, you mentioned the the chilling effect, the vagueness of the language. Is that a complicating factor as well for people trying to figure out what their next moves might be? 
Absolutely. I mean, a lot of this legislation is tied up in lawsuits as well. So that's another thing that complicates what's going on. But people are terrified. And so they're either making plans to leave or they're communicating with their, their current networks to see where they can get care. They're trying to build, there's a lot of grassroots community building that's happening because at this point, a lot of trans people don't trust the government to do anything to protect them in Florida or elsewhere. And so they're building networks at the grassroots level of folks that they can get care from, whether it's a gender affirming care or whether it's just social support. Senate Bill 254, and this is the piece of legislation that restricts trans uh, health care for or gender affirming care for trans youth. What powers does that also have kind of built into it? Like what powers does it give to the government of Florida when it comes to trans youth? So other than criminalizing doctors for providing gender-affirming care to minors, there's also a provision which would allow a non-supportive parent to have the upper hand in child custody disputes and divorce proceedings if the other parent is supportive of a trans child's health care. So even if a child is not getting gender-affirming care because the law criminalizes it, that child may be using certain pronouns, that child may be getting gender-affirming haircuts or wearing clothes that affirm their identity, and if a parent doesn't agree with that, then it may affect custody arrangements and divorce proceedings. Right. So a lot to consider there. And, and you mentioned healthcare providers too. Um, so what are those impacts for, for uh, healthcare providers? What are some of the problems they could run into if they're providing gender affirming care? If they're providing gender affirming care to minors, it's it's illegal. So you know, so there there could be you know arrests and, and prison time um, and fines in addition to, to other consequences. But while the effects of care for trans youth have gotten more media attention, Senate Bill 254 also has wide-reaching consequences for trans adults. So what it does is it bans nurse practitioners and physicians assistants from providing gender affirming care too. And according to the World Professional Association for transgender health, 80% of gender affirming care comes from nurse practitioners and physician's assistants. So what that does is it effectively bans care for the majority of trans adults too. And on top of that, there's also Senate Bill 1580, which was just signed into law by Governor Ron DeSantis. And while it does not explicitly target trans people, it will allow Florida healthcare providers and insurance companies to refuse care based on their moral, ethical, or religious beliefs. And amongst all this too, there's also the element of healthcare of this sort has to be, well, these consultations have to be done face-to-face at least once, right? So that cuts out some of the um, telehealth options there too? It cuts out some of the telehealth options, which some transgender people in Florida may not have access to in-person care because of being in areas that don't have as many gender-affirming doctors. It could be because there are still people in the community that are afraid to go to in-person clinics because um, masking is no longer being done. And while the pandemic is officially over in terms of um, what the World Health Organization organization and CDC and stuff have said the virus is still circulating and people are still getting really sick. So some people are afraid to go to in-person visits and would no longer be able to get this care via telehealth like they were before. Stephanie, I'm just wondering what's going through your mind as we go through this conversation, particularly the healthcare ramifications, the impacts for physicians and for um, trans youth and also adult patients too. Like what kind of conversations are you hearing or what uh, have you heard from 
from healthcare providers about the broader implications of this legislation? You know, they're they're absolutely concerned about mental health effects or or the possibility that somebody might seek uh, medication in an unsafe way, like on the black market. I know providers are doing the best they can to just work within the powers that they have. A lot of these restrictions have not gone into effect yet in terms of the new legislation that was passed. So, you know, as long as they can continue to see patients and provide them safe care, they will. I think a lot are working on referrals for out-of-state care, even for families who aren't moving. Maybe you can make a trip to a, a state that will provide you with the medication that you need. So they're having conversations about that and how to find more affordable care for those who can't afford it, say, because like the state, you know, bars Medicaid from paying for these treatments. So how can they help people who are low income afford their care? So I think doctors are just working to support patients the best they can. I know, you know, Jennifer Evans, as a clinical psychologist, has said that she is ramping up um, group therapy and individual therapy because she anticipates, you know, if somebody does have a disruption in their medical care in terms of hormones, they could at least get additional mental health support to navigate that difficult time. So she's definitely preparing to be very busy, as I know other people. There are a lot of uh, doctors and psychologists and therapists around Florida who will be working hard to help people the best they can. For sure. And Dalina mentioned some legal action. Now, lawyers are challenging the ban on gender-affirming care for minors. What can you tell us about that, Stephanie? Yeah, they're... They filed a, a federal lawsuit right after the medical board ban was passed this in February, went into effect in March. They were already going to be challenging that in federal court. And really, it's on behalf of four parents of trans kids. Uh, one or two of them I've, I've spoken with, actually, in previous reporting, and they had children who had not started puberty yet, so they would be affected by those medical board bans. They were not people that were already receiving care and then able to continue it. These were kids that are very concerned that when they hit puberty, if they're not able to access puberty blockers and and things to help their body align with their identity, that they could be going through puberty in a body that doesn't match up. And that could be very difficult. So four parents anonymously filed this lawsuit with some legal groups um, in federal court challenging the constitutionality of it. And really, they're focusing a lot of their argument on parents' rights. We've seen state lawmakers really emphasize, you know, a lot of the things they're doing and the education scheme and things like that are to protect the rights of parents to have control over their kids' lives. Well, that's what these parents are arguing in their lawsuit is being stripped of them by, you know, having this ban on care because they're saying their right as parents to get their child the health care they need is being violated. Once state lawmakers uh, passed their own ban on gender affirming care, the the lawyers basically just broadened the scope of their lawsuit to challenge that bill as well. So now the lawsuit will encompass both bans. So yeah, we'll see. Um, they you know they've asked or are planning to ask for a preliminary injunction, which would mean that a judge would put a halt on these bans so that kids could at least continue care while the case is underway and until a final ruling is decided. We should be hearing in the next few weeks, I believe, uh, a decision on whether that injunction will, will happen. And, you know, lawyers are also busy at work. There's a lot of misinformation and a lot of fear when these bans happen. And and one thing I do want to stress that lawyers have told me is that some of these custody provisions don't mean child services are going to be coming for you and taking your children away if you, you know, are a supportive parent of trans 
kids and even, you know, some of the legal issues. But even with the custody battles, lawyers have said, you know, the parent would have to have a lot of reasons why you were deserving to lose custody, not necessarily just that you're being an affirming parent, because it's a serious fear a lot of people have right now. And and it isn't clear exactly how, you know, that legal language will pan out. But I know they're, you know, the lawyers that I've spoken with um, are, are pretty busy just kind of talking families down and, and helping them make sense of the news because you hear one thing uh, and you immediately think the worst case scenario, understandably. So they're trying to clear up some of that legal confusion as well. We've been speaking with WUSF Stephanie Colombini, who's been reporting on the impact of new laws restricting gender affirming care in Florida. Stephanie, thank you so much for your reporting. Thanks. And WUSF's Dalina Miller, multimedia journalist who's been covering issues impacting the LGBTQ plus community in Tampa Bay. Dalina, thank you. Thank you. And that's Florida Matters for this week. You can find us online at WUSFnews.org or via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Florida Matters. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.